and welcome to Looking Forward, the ninth and final podcast in the series, Population Health, The Unfinished Journey with Dave Kindig. I'm Sunny Magman, and I'm here with Dave Kindig. Dave, you have been on this journey for 50 years. Uh, I have, and it's been fun to sort of share some of that with you over the last eight episodes. But this, there's a lot more to be done. It is an unfinished journey. And hopefully that's what um, this last podcast will be about. So Dave, you've given me permission to share that you're in your 80s, your low 80s. So what is most on your mind and what keeps you up at night? Well, thanks. I mean, I guess first we'll have to be um, the common ground issue that we covered in some depth last time, but I'll just only repeat that uh, it seems like the country is so divided. Um, how can we come together to improve health and well-being that everybody wants and needs, you know, including the economic productivity that comes from it? Um, and I will repeat my quote from that paper on common ground. And I'm wondering, am I naive and stubborn in quote, refusing to join with many people on both the left and the right of the political spectrum who claim that the same ideological differences that poison our efforts on hot button issues like abortion and gun control and managing the economy must also block efforts to improve population health. Um, I hope I'm not. All right, and you wrote an article that'll be in the show notes of, in the Millbank Quarterly about finding political common ground. And that, that's right, and we, and we covered that in more depth last time. Yeah, and that's been a theme throughout your career here yep. about finding common ground. So let me ask you another, or ask you to tell us more why it's important to you, how we're doing regarding this goes back to 2012, the IOM recommendations resetting targets on life expectancy and per capita healthcare cost in relation to other OECD, which stands for Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, so other developed countries. So setting targets that relate to that by 2030. So you had you began addressing that with a life expectancy paper saying, what would it take us to get, and I'll just emphasize, to get to parity with other developed countries in life expectancy by 2030. And that was the AJPH's editor's choice in 2018. So tell us more about that. Uh, meeting the U.S. Um, life expectancy target, and maybe even a little bit about the reaching the target around per capita cost reduction. Sure. Um, well, yeah, it has been an important part of my thinking and things that I worry about going forward. And I've been delighted to be a, I mean, you're a thought leader in this particular area yourself. Um, I, I've always worried about measures and metrics because you can't manage or produce what you can't measure. I mean, in the Thinking Clearly unpublished draft from last time, 
Um, we mentioned clear and achievable goals and targets as another one of the things that need to be accomplished. Um, those IOM 2012 recommendations about um, parity with OECD were very strong and compelling. But the paper I did in 2018 that you mentioned with, with Jenna Nobles, who's a world-class demographer, um, we actually showed some modest historical precedent in countries and states for the degree of improvement needed to reach that goal. How much more life expectancy per year would we have to achieve in order to um, catch up with Europe? So there was some, we saw some precedent in other states and countries over that long period. But the later companion paper by us, by Mac McCulloch and the others of us that you, we were all part of showed that it was much more discouraging, actually showing no precedent over the last 30 years in other states or countries that would allow us to um, reach those European targets on, on healthcare spending. Um, and these did not deal with equity goals at all. Um, those two papers were simply overall life expectancy and overall um, costs. Uh, equity adds to the measurable measurement and accountability challenge. Again, what Asada has called the indicator chaos. So many moving parts going on as part of the complication. I mean, I've often wondered if your president or your governor has, how are we doing? What would you answer? Um, what, what would you answer? What balance of length of life and health-related quality of life? What balance of overall improvement and disparity reduction? Which disparity domains like race, class, disability? At what pace of improvement? Um, in getting one of the real complications is all these different measurement pieces have, are possible and all interacting. Um, moral philosophers, that's another book I read recently in his book called Just Health. Um, he noted that even the fullest concepts of fairness and justice lack enough quantitative precision in themselves to lead to specific resource allocation decisions. I was hoping reading this whole book, we'd come to some sort of a quantitative answer for guideline. But at the end, he says, we really have to now go take the data we have, but then move into many more local, what, what they call deliberative dialogue or deliberative democracy processes, which are transparent and accountable in our communities, in our nation to sort of um, deal with this issue of targets and how we're doing. I'd like that in going back to kind of the community uh, power and collective voice and, and agency. So right. I, I think given where we are, that's a, an appropriate landing page and also for building common ground. Right. So one thing I would add, Dave, if you ask the question, if our president or governor asked how we were doing, so I'd look at those both of those, um, improving life expectancy and reducing wasteful medical care spending. But I put a shine a spotlight on the per capita healthcare spending. I, I know it's not sexy to talk about, but from a state level where I was uh, as a commissioner of health in Minnesota, we've got a balanced budget there. 
So every dollar that went into healthcare meant that there was healthcare that was wasteful. Of course, we all want to have universal healthcare for everyone, access to healthcare. But every wasteful healthcare dollar, we could have spent that in education, housing, food, job development, addressing inequity and addressing these social determinants of health that are arguably more important than healthcare. So Dave, you and I, just to kind of <laughs> explore this topic more, you and I helped Paul Hughes Cromwick and others write a health affairs blog called the quote, the reallocationist versus the direct allocationist. In other words, do you reallocate money from healthcare, you know, into some of these upstream factors? Or do you just print more money or go into deficit and directly allocate it? You know, that's possible at a federal level, but not really possible at a state level. I think you remember that paper, right? Oh, absolutely. It's a fun little blog that we had fun doing as a group. And, you know, we never come, we never, there were some in the, in the group that thought that we've been talking about reallocating from healthcare for 20 or 30 years. We haven't reallocated a dollar. So let's forget it and just go on to direct uh, federal or other, other direct investments. Others say, well, no, there's so much waste that we have to do that. And guess what? We haven't had very good luck on the direct allocation either. Uh, the most disappointing current uh, idea of that is the failure to extend the uh, Biden child tax credit. So um, yeah, it's a great, it's a great, I think people would enjoy reading that. So in looking forward, that's the title of this podcast, remind us of what you said was the, and I put it in all caps, the population health question in 2007. What was the question back then? And do you still agree now? Well, actually, I'm going to say yes. Um, back then, uh, I said the overriding population question is, what is the optimal balance of investments, dollars, time, policies, in the multiple determinants of health, behavior, environment, SES, medical care, over the life course that will maximize overall health outcomes and minimize health inequities at the population level? This is a significant challenge that we would call decades of attention by scholars and policymakers. And of course, we're now 15 years um, past that particular recommendation. I think it's still the primary policy and research question. To it, I would add a second applied one regarding creating financial and other incentives for effective cross-sectoral collaboration, um, including finding core resources for such health outcomes trusts or collaboratives like we discussed in episode six. So Dave, looking over your five decades, you have said before you have many unpublished drafts in your file cabinet, as well as several that you love that nobody's really noticed, um, that have rarely noticed journals. So for more junior, even senior scholars, how do you handle that? Huh. Well, I guess it's just part of the business. Um, you never know, of course, um, if your ideas are flawed or, or 
very poorly communicated, in which case they deserve to be in the file cabinets. Um, other issues, can, I mean, the reviewing process is the best thing we have, um, but other issues can dominate a reviewer or a journal's concern. Um, that business has a human side as well. Um, as I mentioned quite a few episodes ago with the 26 JAMA piece, sometimes you set a paper or concept aside and wait for a hook. Um, if it's basically sound, um, it can rise, rise again. Um, you know, the only other health outcome trade-off paper I know of, like the one we discussed last time about the population health performance index, the only other relative paper was in, that I found was in 2002 by Adam Wagstaff, a much more accomplished economist than me. Um, and that was buried. I mean, we really had to look to find it. I, I haven't seen that referred to much at all in health policy literature. So if the ideas are credible, they will hopefully surface sometime. Just have to keep at it and keep aware of what the hooks might be where the context changes in the world. Good advice, good advice. Now, looking ahead and thinking about emerging leaders, if they or anyone who's interested could only read three to five of your papers, which ones would you tell them to read? And maybe just give us a one-liner about why, why you would tell them to read that resource. And we'll make certain these are in the show notes on the IAPHS. Um, blog. Okay, well, that what what a cool question. Um, of course, I love I love them all. Um, they're all <laughs> my, they're all my children. But I guess if I have to pick five, um, here they are. For and some of them we've talked about already. Um, <clears throat> there was a blog that we haven't discussed before in April. Health Affairs blog. What are we talking about when we talk about population health? That's a short and sweet kind of more forward um, discussion of what are we really talking about and particularly with the population health management um, challenge that we mentioned before. So that was in 2015. 2015, also okay. in 2015, um, we've discussed the bench, what um, from health determinant benchmarks to health investment benchmarks. We covered that fully um, in, number, in number, number six about it's all the money. Um, this is a, there's one that George Isham and I, my friend and colleague, we did in 2014. It's a long paper. It's 27 pages long, but it's sort of a broad treatment. If you don't want to go back to my book or, and, and have a lot of updated things, it's called Population Health Improvement, a Community Health Business Model that Engages All Partners in All Sectors. It actually won a Paper of the Year Award in 2014 for the by ACHE. It's a good summary of sort of many of these things that we've talked about here. Um, and then two others that we just covered recently, the 2015, actually 2015 was a good year, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> can, there, can there be political common ground for improving population health? Um, we've covered that. And then the 2017 JAMA, Population Health Equity Rate and Burden, Race and Class. And we discussed last time sort of the provocative and, um, but important complicating um, issues that I discussed there. 
Dave, to our final question in this podcast series, and it actually it will be our, our takeaways for this podcast, uh, the final podcast. In accepting last year's IAPHS McGinnis Leadership Award, congratulations, you articulated six challenges going forward 20 to 30 years from now. So the next 20 to 30 years. Tell us what you think a more finished journey in population health will look like. What will be the measures or benchmarks of success? So tell us kind of these final takeaways from your journey. Okay, so these are the takeaway takeaways. And um, <laughs> and many of them you will have heard before if you've been with us on this journey, but uh, these are the six that I was honored to get that award. And these are the six that I put forward then. One, advances in methodology and data quality have brought us closer to understanding how to balance the multiple determinants of health, as well as the complexity of inequity. Two, Using this information, set per capita inv investment benchmarks across the determinants with sharp focus on raising the mean and closing the gaps, improving health equity. Three, spend less in wasteful, unneeded health care and invest more in social determinants, and especially with disadvantaged children. I often think about, and I've never written about, you know, a child born in poverty today, how many years of um, premature death or unhealthy days for that life going forward do we build in at that moment of the birth of a child in poverty? Fourth, financial models, financial formula models like mortgage investment deduction or crop subsidies are devised and implemented to derive these rebalanced investments. I must say that's one that I think is really important, but which I, I think the, even the beginning thinking needs to be done about how do we get some of those um, uh, formulas in place that just keep going. Five, there are robust multi-sectoral health outcomes trusts or community business model partnerships with adequate core funding to be effective. And then finally, finding political and ideological common ground and social solidarity that are built through deliberative dialogue to make these five previous points sustainable. Dave, I just want to reiterate your second point, set per capita investment benchmarks across determinants with a sharp focus on raising the mean and closing gaps, improving equity. Just to remind everyone that if the investments are not raising the mean and closing the gaps, in other words, the outcomes that we desire, we've got to reevaluate our investments and we need to determine what are some interim milestones along the way so we know if those investments are doing the, doing the job that we want. Absolutely. That, you know, absolutely. That's a good sort of final takeaway takeaway. I mean, you can't manage what you can't measure and we need to know where we're going uh, and with the guideposts to guide uh, public and private policy. 
Thanks, Dave. I just want to tell our listeners that we just reviewed the final takeaways in podcast nine, but the uh, we will have these six future goals, challenges for population health, as well as a summary of all key takeaways will be in the show notes. So Dave, thank you for putting these stakes in the ground and thank you for sharing a, a very personal and professional journey that you've had over these five decades. You've guided so many of us and you've helped build the field of population health. What a great legacy you have given us. I know you were initially reluctant to share all of these stories, but there is a richness here as illustrated in many of the takeaways that I believe will last for a long time, a long time. Well, thanks much for that. And actually thanks for your encouragement in uh, getting this to this stage and for being such a gracious host. Um, at the end, I'd like to just say that um, some people say that I'm one of the fathers of population health thinking, um, perhaps because of the 2003 definitional article, but it really isn't true. I mean, population health is a team sport and where we are stands on so many shoulders, present and past. I list many of them in my 2020 IAPHS blog called a population health boot camp. That totally focuses on the other key contributors to our field. Um, but I am proud of the translating, expanding and advocacy role I've played but for me, it all derived from the ideas in the 1990 Evans and Stoddard paper, which we featured in full in episode in podcast two. And I would add that you have taken theories and made them into reality about what to do next and next steps. Listeners, we hope that you have had much joy and satisfaction in pursuing population health as Dave's life illustrates, and that you have gained insights and wisdom that will sustain you on your journey looking forward. If you've missed any of the nine podcasts, they can be found at www.iaphs.org. You can look in the show notes for references for today's podcast. Again, thank you for joining us in the Population Health series, The Unfinished Journey with Dave Kendig. Bye, Dave. Bye, Sandy. It's been fun. Yep, it sure has.